This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, podcast featuring women in sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here. I'm a sex addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. And today, um, I am excited to talk to you about a specific behavior that sometimes we have in intimacy disorders and addiction and codependence and all that kind of stuff. We're going to talk about gaslighting today. Now, before we get into exactly what gaslighting is, let me tell you how this whole thing came about. So uh, this was, I don't know, a couple months ago, I was talking to one of my coaching clients. Um, I do recovery coaching, right? Help women and men, coach both women and men to uh, really stabilize their lives and develop a recovery practice and be able to kind of move themselves forward and achieve what they want to do. And I was talking with one of my clients and she was a newer client at that time. And she was asking um, about my relationship with Steve. She had heard me talk a little bit on the podcast um, about a relationship, an addictive relationship I had with a man named Steve. And if you've listened, you've heard some kind of ins and outs of that relationship and some of the things that happened. Um, I've shared a lot with you about some of the things in that podcast or in that relationship and, and what how they affected my life. Specifically, she wanted to kind of hear the timeline Um you know, when did you start dating? How did you meet him? And then like, how did things progress on and off, blah, 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 to when you finally like let go? How did you develop the strength to let go and be done? Uh, she was struggling to let go and be done with a particular relationship. Um, and, uh, and so had really wanted to know kind of my relationship. And as I told her and kind of went through some of the ins and outs of that, I was reminded of some of the behaviors that we had um, in this relationship in different ways. You know, every time, I'm, I always say this, but every time I tell a piece of my story and I share that with someone else, more dots um, are connected for me, right? More connections are made and I'm able to see things in a different light. And the more that I hear other people's stories and other people's experiences, the more connections are made also for me about my own life and also about how this whole intimacy disorder thing works, right? Those of us that are in, have love addiction uh, tendencies or sex addiction tendencies, anything where we have this, you know, intimacy disorder kind of as our background, we sometimes end up in these relationships with what we sometimes call qualifiers, right? People that uh, qualify us to be in a, re- a recovery program because the relationship that we had was addictive at some at some core or at least unhealthy, right? At some core. I thought a lot about these relationships and as I told her this story, I saw these things in a different light um, and was able to make some more connections. And we have these behaviors that we've developed um, that contribute to our intimacy disorder. Now, in my experience, 90% 
of the time with these unhealthy behaviors that we develop. Um, usually, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, it's hard to put a number on it, but I would say most of the time, more often than not, we are the victim of this behavior first. Now, I, don't, I can't say that's always the case, but in my experience, I would say, I don't know, I want to say 100%, but the math, math, the statistician in me, the mathematician in me is saying that's probably not true. So um, I'm just going to say definitely more often than not, we are the victim of this type of behavior first. Um, that's how we learned it, right? These behaviors are learned behaviors. And somewhere along the line, we were manipulated by an un- by these unhealthy behaviors and we learned how they work. Usually I would say that's a subconscious learning, right? It's not like, it's, it's not like, you know, we're children and we're mentally abused and we start in our minds, we say, oh, this is what mental abuse looks like and this is how it works. And we form this checklist, right? No, that's not how it works, right? This is a, a subconscious, maybe an unconscious learning that we just kind of absorb these behaviors as we go along. Gaslighting, I definitely say, is one of those behaviors. You know, here here's another example. I think I've shared this with you. Um, my when I was new in recovery, and uh, my real anyway, long story. But my therapist told me at one point in time, and this didn't come out of the blue for me. But he said, Amy, you flirt like a predator. And I, I mean, it was a very heavy session, obviously. And it was very uh, hard for me to hear that. And as we kind of dug into that, he said, of course you do. Like, where did you learn to flirt? You learn to flirt from the people that flirt with you. And the people that you had relationships with were predators. So you learned how to flirt like a predator. And as I, like, as that sunk in, I was like, oh, right. It's not like someone, you know, sat me down as a 12-year-old, or I don't even know how old you would do this, and said, oh, Amy, one day you're going to want to flirt with men. And here are some positive flirting techniques. We don't do that. We don't do that with kids. We don't do that with teenagers. We don't do that with people as they're developing relationships. We, sh- I think that we should. Maybe I need to start something like that. I think that we need to start giving more relationship skills younger. But no one did that for me. And so by the time I learned to flirt, or by the time that, that skill set was kind of a conscious thing in my head, I had developed the flirting skills of predators. Because that's who I had learned that from. We perpetuate what we know and what we experience. And so that's what I had done. I perpetuated my predatorial flirting skills. Now, I have since developed new flirting skills. So yeah, just so you know, I'm not a predator anymore. Okay. And that was part of my life for a period of time. So As I, again, was telling the story and talking to this uh, coaching client that I was working with, I started to kind of make a mental list of some of these behaviors that we run into and that we do as part of an intimacy disorder. And uh, they range from, you know, very subtle to uh, very destructive, right? They range from overt to covert. You can overtly uh, use this behavior. So overt means 
you know, out in the open, that's how I remember it. Overtly means openly, right? So I'm openly using these behaviors. Covert means covered. Maybe I, maybe I don't, it's not out in the open. And that could be subconsciously I'm using this behavior, but I don't know about it. Or it could just be that it happens behind closed doors. So it's very covered up, right? Overtly means, could mean, again, mean mentally, like I know that I'm doing this. I'm being, I'm actually intentionally manipulating you or intentionally causing problems for you. Or it could also just mean that I do it out in public in the open, right? And so you've got this big continuum of all of these different things about behaviors. Now, we could get lost in those details. And those are details I love to get lost in. And so today I'm going to try to remain very concrete as we talk about gaslighting. And we're not going to talk about whether this is happening overtly or covertly, whether the person is intentionally doing this or subconsciously doing this. We're not going to talk about all of that. We're going to talk about exactly what it is, the behaviors to look for, how you might know that you're a victim, and then what are you going to do about it, right? Because if we get lost in those peripheral details, we're not going to make progress. And I'm all about progress, all about progress. So we're going to try to be really concrete in our definition of gaslighting. So I, I want to tell you how this um, came about in this, you know, kind of this story a little bit um, for me so that you understand my experience with gaslighting. Um, particularly with Steve, and then we'll talk about some of these definitions and things. So immediately after finding out that Steve was married and that I had been um, in and out of a, basically an affair for eight years, affair on his part, I wasn't married, but I didn't know that at the time, right? I didn't know that he was married. So immediately after finding that out, um, I had two major events happen, right? My sister, um, declared that she was going to get divorced um, after this five-year marriage and was leaving. And, and that was really difficult. And my found out that my dad had terminal cancer. So right when I'm going through this major crisis, right, personal crisis, um, my family is in total chaos. My dad, my mom, I mean, my, my mom was a mess, but my dad was a, a mess. My family's a mess. My sister's a total disaster. Um, and she had moved home with my parents and and it was just this chaos, right? And I, though, was in personal chaos inside. Um, and when I found out that my dad had terminally ill cancer, I moved home to my parents' house and lived there for the next four months to take care of him while he had uh, brain surgery and some treatment um, because my mom couldn't and I was his caretaker. Now, my family, like I said, was in full-blown crisis, and I have always been the rescuer in my family. Um, and so in full-blown crisis mode, I, at that time, even though I had this really destructive news from Steve about our relationship and where I was at personally and variety of things, I couldn't let go of that relationship because I needed his support. And I, because again, I was in crisis. And so I couldn't let go of that relationship. Uh, over those next four months, while I was living in my parents' basement, sleeping on the couch, uh, it was a really dark time for me in a variety of ways. Um, but every week, nearly every week, I would lash out at Steve in anger in some way. Uh, sometimes that looked like angry voicemails. Sometimes it looked like angry emails. Um, sometimes it was raging, 
voicemails or emails uh, to him um, and about him. And I would just lash out and be angry at him for all of these things. And every single time, and and hang on, I want to add something right there. I'm kind of reading from my notes here, but, and I had a right to be angry, right? I mean, this man had lied to me for eight years and manipulated me for eight years. And that anger was rightfully placed at him and justified to be angry, right? We're allowed to be angry. And I would lash out at him and be angry at him. And every single time, masterfully, artfully, he could redirect that anger towards my family. All of it. Um, He was setting me up to be, continue to be dependent on him as my rescuer, right? As I rescued my family and I had this, all this anger inside of me that I couldn't even share with my family because they didn't even know about Steve. Um, And so I, I wasn't talking to anyone about it, anyone at all. I only had Steve to talk to about it. And this anger would lash out and it would, you know, I would be angry at Steve. And every single time he would take all of that anger and redirect it towards my family and, and tell me why I was really angry at my family and that I was basically, he would say I was, I was abusing him. I was using him as my punching bag when all of my anger was really about this family situation going on with my mom, the dynamics between my mom and my dad and my sister and me that we were all living in the house and my family and all this stuff going on. And he would would tell me that I was emotionally abusing him um, and that I was really angry at my family. And he was masterful at that to the point where um, every single time I believed him, I 100% believed him. And he would even say things like, if you're going to continue to lash out at me, like I can't continue to support you in this situation. And he was my only support at that time in my life. Um, and so I, I couldn't lose him. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't lose my only support amongst this thing because I was the rescuer of my family. My family could not support me. They've never been able to emotionally support me. And so I was the rescuer there and Steve would manipulate me and redirect all that anger towards my family. And every time leave me, you know, wanting to be with him more. Um, he would even say things to me like I wrote a few things down here. Oh, I told you about the um, emotional punching bag. He called. He said that I was using him as my emotional punching bag. He also said things like, who would want to ever be in a relationship with someone who was so unnecessarily angry at them all the time? Right? So again, telling me that I was the crazy one here, right? That he, I, I had no right to be angry at him, that there was no justifiable anger there from him and that I needed to, um, to stop that behavior. And so I did, I stopped being angry at him and I would take that anger and it would come out sideways in all sorts of directions, um, towards other people. Uh, typically not my family. When my anger comes out sideways, it usually comes out on strangers. And so I remember, oh man, I remember being in a uh, Office Max store, like an office supply store, uh, buying a voice recorder and tearing apart the salesman. 
for, for no reason, like no good reason at all whatsoever. Um, but I remember doing that. And then I remember getting in my car and sobbing, um, because I had a lot of anger and I couldn't take it out on my family where I thought it belonged, where Steve told me it belonged. I couldn't take it out on Steve because I would lose my support. And so it came out sideways in other directions. Now, a few months later, uh, after getting through kind of the brain surgery and things, I returned to Seattle. I was living in Seattle at the time and I returned to Seattle and I started the very first thing I did when I got back to Seattle was I called and made a therapy appointment and I started therapy and I started recovery for the first time. And I learned about the term gaslighting. So let me tell you where gaslighting comes from, um, why we use it, why we call it that first, and then we'll get into some details. And, uh, I'm recognizing that maybe we might have to have two episodes on this because there's a lot of information here that I haven't even gotten to yet. So the term gaslighting, okay, the concept has its roots in an old play by um, a British uh, British author, uh, Patrick Hamilton was his name, and the title of the play was Gaslight, and it was written in 1938. Now, when it re- was released in the United States a few years later, uh, we called it Five Chelsea Lane or Angel Street um, was one of the movie remakes of the of the original play. But the original play was called Gaslight. And the basic plot is this. So you've got a couple, uh, Jack and Bella. Okay, so they're the couple. And they live in this flat and they have an upstairs neighbor that has been murdered. Um, and the upstairs apartment is still is empty. Now, Jack is the one that murdered the upstairs um, partner, and he did it to steal her money and her jewels and all of, she was very wealthy, and so she he wanted to steal all of that. And he completes the murder, but he had never, at that time, and you know, at the beginning of the play, he's never found the jewels, he's never found the money. And he sneaks upstairs every once in a while to try to find these jewels and this money that everyone has said has been hidden in the flat. Now, his wife is starting to suspect some things that something's going on with Jack. Um, he, of course, is flirting with the staff and a variety of things that are going on there as well. But, you know, he does go upstairs. And so she's starting to question him, like, where are you going? Why are you gone? What's happening? When he goes upstairs, he walks around and she hears footsteps. And this is supposed to be a you know, an empty flat. And so she's starting to ask him, like, I'm hearing things like I'm hearing that maybe there's something upstairs. And, and every time he, she brings a concern to him, he flat out lies and is like, and starts to convince her that she is going crazy, that maybe she's having a nervous breakdown, that she's hearing things, that she's imagining this flirting going on between him and the staff, that she's actually making things up. And he's very manipulative and very artful at how he does this, right? And the term comes, the gaslight comes in from, you know, at that time in the 1938, uh, the way that we lit our homes was with lamps on the wall that were lit by gas, right? The gas would come out and we would light it. It was actual fire. And so they had, you know, they would have like the, the lamps lit in their flat But when he would sneak upstairs and light the lamps upstairs, their lamps on their walls would flicker. And 
And so she would talk about this like flickering in their lamps and that there was something going on upstairs and something was happening. And he would just, he convinced her that she was the crazy one, that she was the one that was losing her mind, that she was imagining all of these things and that they weren't real. Each time Jack would, you know, and Jack wasn't in the apartment when that would happen, when the flickering would happen, right? Because he was upstairs in this murdered woman's apartment that he had murdered looking for these jewels and for this money. And so it was very easy for him to convince her and for her to believe that she was imagining it since he wasn't there when it happened. So anyway, that's kind of the what happens in this play over and over again. And then meanwhile, this uh, detective comes on the on the scene. Uh, detective Rowe is his name. And he convinces Bella that Jack is the murderer and, uh, and that convinces Bella to help him expose Jack and to catch him, which she does. She agrees to that. And in the process, though, uh, it kind of takes a little bit of a revenge on Jack when she's helping him to pretend to escape, she reminds him that she is not, that she is insane and therefore not responsible for her actions as she leads him into a trap. And the play ends with Jack being kind of hauled off by the police. Um, and it's from this play and the subsequent movies and things that came out of that play that we get the term gas lighting. Gaslighting is a manipulative behavior of power. By making you doubt your own reality, the abuser gains power over you and keeps what he or she needs, which is you. He or she needs you to be in this relationship, to do what they want, to, to um, they need that power over you. And so by making you doubt and question your own reality, the abuser gains this power over you. The anger emails between Steve and I, that was not the first time that we had this dynamic. Um, it's not like all of a sudden he was doing this behavior and I believed him, right? Um, it's not, it wasn't the first time. As I learned in recovery, um, I started to see how this whole relationship the relationship between Steve and I, the whole relationship was centered around this tactic. In fact, it was brought up to me again recently um, as I, I've been just like massively purging and cleaning out files and things like that. And uh, I found an old journal that had some printed out emails in the journal. And I thought that I'd gotten rid of pretty much everything around Steve, and I didn't. So in this journal, I found a, an email where this was two years into our relationship. So Steve and I dated on and off for seven years by the t when he finally told me that he had um, a wife. And then it was a full another year before I was like, see ya, go away. I never want contact with you again. Um, so I kind of call it this eight-year relationship that we had. Um, and so it was about two years into that that period of time. And I found this email that I had sent him. And it starts out with, Steve, why do I feel like the, quote, other woman, question mark? And then it has this list of examples of why I feel that way. Guys, I'm not making this up. <laughs> 
two years into our relationship, my body, my the logic in my brain, the emotions that I have, my whatever it is, my gut was picking up a vibe that there was something going on here, right? There was something happening here in our relationship. There was something, information being withheld from me. And so I sent him this email. Why do I feel like the other woman? Question mark. And then I had all these examples, right? And in the printout, there was also his reply where he just full blown, blatantly lied to me um, that there was no one else, that I, this was my own insecurity, that this was my own doubt about, you know, my worth and my value and that, and that why would someone like him be interested in me? And, and again, masterfully, artfully redirects my own gut feeling, my own reality in a different direction. For years, uh, Steve, I was the victim of gaslighting in this relationship. Now, I also just want to point out, I am not blameless <laughs> in this relationship either. I mean, as I go through that, like I can definitely look at ways that I manipulated Steve. I can look at ways that I manipulated the relationship. Um, I can look at ways where I was very deceitful and deceptive. Um, so please don't feel like I'm putting all the blame on, you know, on Steve here. Um, and also I'm such at peace with this relationship that I'm not angry anymore at this, but it was a huge piece of our relationship. Our entire relationship is this gaslighting, this, this idea of manipulating me to my own reality, right? To start doubting my own reality. One of my favorite recovery quotes um, I learned very early on from M. Scott Peck, and it says, mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs. Mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs. I don't know about you, but I want mental health, right? I, I want mental health. And so I want my reality at all costs. And that is exactly what a gaslighter takes from you. They take from you your own reality, right? They take from you um, your mental health. That is what a gaslighter does. So because we're already 30 minutes in today, I'm going to pause right here. Um, you kind of know my history with gaslighting. You've seen a couple examples, well, from my own life about how that works. We talked about where gaslighting came from. Um, in our next episode, I'll, I'll release these episodes back to back so you don't have to wait too long. In our next episode, we'll talk about what are some examples and some signs that you might be in a gaslighting relationship. Um, also, we're going to talk about some of the behaviors that gaslighters use, um, some of their tactics that they use. And then we're going to talk about what's your path to healing? How do you get out, right? If you're in a relationship with a gaslighter, how do you get out? Okay, remember that I love you before I that part, because I do love you. But remember that no matter what's going on in your life right now, no matter how far you think you're down, no matter if you 100% doubt your own current reality, you are worth recovery. You're 100% worth it. And I know that. I believe that. I have hope for all of you that we can unite as women and recover and save ourselves. So 
If you don't believe that, you can trust me until you do start to believe that. Remember that I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. I hope that you have a great day. Thanks. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.